Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. You're a part of it. You're already a part of it. Because I've been recording for 15 minutes. What? Boom. Mic drop. Beautiful, don't you think? What? The sunrise. Terrific.
Welcome, everybody, to the special edition of The Next Reel, The Film Board. This is Film Board. What is this? 15? 15 times we have gotten together. Wow. I'm to do this. I know, right? Uh, I'm Pete Wright, and uh, Andy Nelson's there. Hello, hello. And we got Steve Sarmento. Hello. And Tommy Metz. Hello, it's me. I'm sick. Well, I feel like I should tell I feel like, people no, that. I mean, you're just, it's like, I, I feel like it's probably a good idea, but, you know, they can't, it's not <laughs> like you're out there kissing people. This well, just, I'm, kiss, I'm kissing be. them over the airwaves. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I hope they don't get pod sick. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm pod contagious. <laughs> <laughs> we are, uh, we have gathered here today to take on Gravity. Uh, we were going to take on a different movie. The whole plan was to take on The Counselor, but a couple of us uh, uh, went to see it, not me, and said it was not <laughs> worth talking about. It's the first time that we have uh, that we have actually changed directions because the movie was apparently so bad. Called an audible. Yeah, we did. That's what that is. That's if we sports. were into sports. That's what Look at we, that, we would have done. Uh-huh. Wow. I actually don't have any friends that are into sports, That was a so. touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the, uh, t- uh, obviously, 2013. Oh, we're a little bit late on this. It opened uh, October 4th. And uh, it's Alfonso Cuaron, uh, written by Alfonso Cuaron and Jonas Cuaron, his son. And um, we've got uh, with uh, Sandra Bullock and George Clooney and Ed Harris, but mostly Sandra Bullock. And... The omniscient, the omniscient cameraman. Mm-hmm. Man, that guy seems to be just everywhere. <laughs> Where would does, you... he, does he get really small too? He sure does. This was a. Uh, this was uh, well. Okay. Where would you like to start, gentlemen? We have uh, we have lots of things to talk about with this film. Uh, where would you like to start? What What struck you as? Uh, why did this movie strike you as uh, as it did? Um, Tom. Okay. Um, this movie i'm a big i i know i think i've maybe gotten a bad call for this but i'm actually am a big sci-fi fan or at least a sci-fi horror fan this film made space feel so scary in a way that other films have just sort of tried to uh that Usually, like, space films are involved with, like, finding a haunted ship or our ship is slowly breaking down or something. But space is horrifying. Uh, and the fact that we have the courage to go in there is has never really meant as much to me uh, until seeing this film. I thought this film was remarkably well done and it just – it gave me nightmares. Is that – am I making sense? I'm on NyQuil. <laughs> <laughs> you're, yeah, no, I think you're totally making sense, and I would just I, I would just add to that. I you know because that was one of my notes that you know what we don't need uh, we don't need aliens we don't need uh, you know we don't need any sort of you know meteor ships or meteors. Space is scary on its own. Right, right? space itself is a scary thing, and I got the this was uh, an extremely familiar feeling to me. This was the same feeling I got watching The Abyss. Now, even in The Abyss, we had the alien oh. kind of a gig, right? But yep. for me, that sequence in the submarine, uh, ironically, with Ed Harris and what's her name, uh, when they had to do the drowning bit, right? Yeah. Tell yep. me you didn't feel that way about the ocean. Uh, right. the, the way you felt about space in this film. That is that is the feeling that I got the entire uh, time in this movie. The setting itself was such an unbelievable 
character in this film that I I was really moved by it. Which is another uh, note to get to bring up later okay. for this film. Let's let's do that. Okay, you're in charge of footnotes. I'm I'm making a bibliography as we speak. <laughs> Mr. Nightwell is in charge of footnotes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, I can smell colors. <laughs> All, right. All right, Steve. Uh, we're we're talking about just sort of initial yeah. response or draw to this film, and it was one that you know this the simplicity of the story is one of the you know first things that I, I walked away from is that it was just tell a, a really simple story, but tell it really well. And we can talk about the tools that are used to to tell that story, you know, the sound and camera work. But from the, you know, the, the first time I saw the first teaser trailer to this, I thought this is going to be an interesting film. How What do we do with just, you know, a small cast floating in outer space? Where is How do we keep this audience interested for this? amount of time and it, it did it well you know through the through the performances and just a very simple story that you know i think brought you know something new and you know as, as we're speaking uh, i think it's been number one you know box office film for like three consecutive weeks so obviously there's something that people are drawn to in this story um you know we can talk about special effects and all that but at, at the core there's there's something to these this character and the story that uh, we endure or are immersed in for about 90 minutes of our time. And I think it, it's just something, again, to not say, oh, this is a fluke, these films don't happen. It's just when you can come up with a very simple story and find the right tools to tell it you know, in the most effective way possible. And that's what this film does. Andy. Ooh. That was awesome. I know, right? I just, I felt like I didn't want to even follow up on that. that was so I just amazing. want to say what he said. <laughs> but but really, I, I I think playing with kind of what uh, what Tom started also. I think space has been so um, uh, made into something so deceptively wrong for us over the years that I don't think I've ever really experienced what space is really like uh, because of you know I mean in in a real way my entire life growing up watching any sort of sci-fi films space is really nothing more than uh you know dog fights up in the sky is really kind of what it's come down to i mean there are a few films like 2001 that do something a little different with space but for the most part like the sci-fi films that i grew up watching it really is just dog fights and that's kind of what space mm -hmm. has been and it's it's not really done in a way that feels realistic and, um, you know, I think Sunshine is another recent film that we've talked about, Pete, that I think oh, does work at trying to, trying to make it as realistic as possible. Now, it's a, a different type of film. It's not dealing with the same sort of issue of just survival. In a sense, it is, but in a totally different survival sense. Um, this is just trying to survive a, you know, a, a mishap as opposed to, you know, saving the Earth. But... Uh, you don't ever get that real visceral sense of being there. Uh, the IMAX 3D watching this in that in that way, I think, really helped immerse me in that and really made me feel like I am actually out in space watching these filmmakers make a movie in space. Um, that's just what it felt like, and and I've never really felt that way, and I've never been so like physically. Uh, rattled while watching a movie where literally there were times where I was practically crawling out of my seat because yeah. I just like I could barely contain myself from what was actually happening on the screen. It just I, I don't think I've ever really experienced that. So 
and then all of like everything that Steve just said, tying in this story of, you know, this survival. And then you've got this amazing character arc of, of this character as she's, as she really is reborn. Um, and we can talk about that, uh, in a little bit, but, but I, I, I really enjoyed the way they tied all of that together in an amazing sci-fi film that also had a, a, a nice character, uh, change over the course of it. Uh, you know, I would, I, I agree with that. I, I, I think this movie, I, one of the notes I had made earlier on was that this movie is, is really vastly grander than the sum of its parts. I, I feel like as soon as I started talking about it, you, you know, and, and talking about it to the family, and I, I took my daughter, who's 11 years old, and, and I think this movie is, it's one of these films that is, it's big because the trailers are big, and it just looked like there was a lot of press about it. It was big, what they did, it was so spectacular, and got to see it in IMAX. But it's also, at the same time, a small film. It's an intimate film, right? It's a singular sort of character journey, um, you know, to find home. For, for her in, in a number of different, you know, contexts. And I was worried as we got into that, that, that this would be kind of an adult film, an adult journey that, that she would not appreciate. And boy, I, I was really surprised at just how well she connected with this, you know, with Sandra Bullock's character and, and what she was going through, uh, even uh, as much as the overall sort of... Um, um, uh, the overall kind of action sequences. I think there there is a lot to connect to in this film, uh, you know, both on its its small kind of scale, the the emotional resonance that I think is comes through, and the grand scale, the setting, uh, and and just the way they portray space. Um, so I, you know, I would agree with you. Uh, it's a it's it's kind of a haunted house film, in a way that it's so contained. Yes. Like there's just like every I'm just sort of I like to repeat everything that I've heard that I've heard and <laughs> pretend that it's my point um, that it's just there's nothing there's just it's just people caught but it's the hugest haunted house in the world. Well, it is, and it's it's extremely linear, right? It's almost on rails, you know, from set piece to set piece, and in between each major set piece is kind of a road trip. You know, we have the we have the road trip movie, you know, sequence when they're trying to get to the International Space Station. You know, they get to have their little conversation. The slowest road trip. It is the slowest road trip ever, uh, and and yet it's you know you get these sort of touching moments that are uh, between these two characters, and and you know, uh, I, I think that's. It, it, it is paced as linear as it is. It's paced in such a way that I, I did not find myself bored uh, at any at any point. Now, and the one one thing that, that that kept you know the momentum going is, and I thought it was it was very craftfully done. Was the movie they set up sort of a ticking clock? The debris comes by, and it's going to come by again in a certain amount of time. So get it lends itself a sense of urgency. But what we don't get is those typical shots of like you know she set a timer but we don't cut back to that every so often of like i've got it oh i've only got five minutes i've only got two minutes in this you know sort of you know building that artificially through the cutting you know to the clock and is she going to get there but there it did keep in the back of your mind she's got to keep moving she's got mm-hmm. things she needs to get done and it sets it up but i didn't feel that it was used to create you know overly hyped urgency it, it felt like a nice balance to that that we have a reason for things to be occurring and for her to move forward but not at the you know the filmmakers didn't i feel like manipulate us 
That's a really good point. Yeah, because you knew that there was a bomb under the desk, but they didn't keep cutting to it. Exactly. Yeah. I think we saw different movies. (laughs) Wasn't there a bomb under a desk? (laughs) What? (laughs) Oh, NyQuil. I'm also Uh, going to confuse this with the counselor. Uh, Which is a sad sad comparison. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is that... You know, uh, as Chekhov said. What, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's. Uh, can we talk? Can we talk about the uh, about the script? Can we go from the from the uh, inside out a little bit? Mm-hmm. What's your take on on the um, on generally the writing, and uh, specifically the portrayal of uh, Sandra Bullock's Doctor Ryan? I have a thing to say, but it might be spoilery. No, spoil it. People should know by now. Oh, we didn't actually <laughs> okay. say it. Hold on. We spoil uh, movies on this podcast. So, and starting here, this movie's going to be This starting now, it's going to be spoiled. Right. Please spoil Bruce away. Willis was the ghost. All right. Um, <laughs> I think I've made that joke literally every single time. I'm starting to get tired. Um, the the I liked it. I, I thought the script was... I would be really interested in reading the screenplay because it seems like it would be... 60 pages long at most because there's so much time without, uh, you know, dialogue, which is kind of interesting to me. Uh, but uh, past that, uh, I, I thought it was good. I thought the, um, sometimes it was a little bit simplistic. Uh, the only real problem that I have, and I'm sorry, I'm going to wrap it up. Um, the only real problem that I had was, and I think I put this in my film buddies notes, which was, uh, they've been up there. How long have they been up there? A I, week. They said a, a week? week. Yeah. Oh, okay, a week. That's better than. But still, a week. And while they're while George Clooney and Sandra Bullock, uh, Stronauts are going on their little. Let's not talk a bunch because we have to save our breath. But <laughs> instead, let's have a whole lot of talking. He says, "Where are you from?" <laughs> <laughs> and what's your family like? It just that was the only thing. Like I get that you have that we're like all doing this for re, in real time, but it was kind of like, like what have you guys been talking about yeah. for a week? You're in space. Like are you just playing the movie game? Are you just playing <laughs> Like what are you doing? You're just talking about nonsense or just saying things like copy that and Roger. It was just no. like I I know that yeah. that's a thing that the film had to do, but I was wondering if there was a little bit of a more elegant way to do it than just yeah, literally it. like we've just met conversation. Uh, see, that, that that didn't bother me because I took that as the you know experienced veteran who knows how to, to cope with a rookie who's starting to lose it and to, to sort of bring her back, get her focused on something else. And yes, it is that we're going to, here's this exposition, here's some background on this character we need to get out for story purposes. It didn't feel contrived to me because it was sort of framed in the aspect of she needs to get recentered and focus on what's important. And she's, you know, hyperventilating she's focused on all these other things and, and just spinning out of control physically and, and mentally and it was to help get her focused on something singular. And so that, that's how I took it. I absolutely agree with that. Then what I would have wanted him to say was tell me again, uh, where yeah. down here are you from? Yeah. It could have been so easy. Just yeah, tell me again, true. tell me your story yeah. again. 
you know, walk me through it, that kind of a thing, versus it just seemed like they had just met. Well, you know but what? No, I, your point is very strong. Because it's not but only I, that they had just been up in space for a week. They'd been training together oh, sure, for sure. months. Right? I mean, Well, it didn't sound like she had been training with them in particular because he was asking her like how long did she train for this stuff and oh, okay. it sounded like point. it sounded like they were kind of training separately for the mission yeah but i i still can see see the point that you're making tom i i fall into the camp where it didn't really bug me because i just i liked that element of the story but i can totally see your point I'm just being a bitch because I'm on Mike Well, you know, and, and Tom, I think, you know, part of that would be some refinement to to the screenplay that could have could have occurred. But, I, you know, getting back to your point of it was, the screenplay was maybe 60 pages long. It may have been even shorter because I feel like almost George Clooney's entire part could have been improvised because he was, you know, George Clooney, Clooney doing he was playing George Clooney and you've seen interviews with him he's that's, so Clooney. he was play yeah so Clooney so give him a few points and okay he's going to improvise and then you've got Ed Harris doing you know Ed Harris from Apollo 13 so did you need to script that no not really so I, I don't know how much of it was actually you know dialogue scripted out versus you know it, to me it could have been improvised and that may be where we end up with some of those pieces because it is a really simple story um and i think you know that would be something i would be really interested to see because to me the the strength of it is really in the sort of the visual structure and what i would see is more interesting is actually sort of the the notes of the camera pieces you know where how the camera moves because that's really how the story is told not so much through the dialogue but through that camera and where it goes and when we've got singular long tracking shots, when we've got camera movement, how it's moving, where the camera actually is placed. To me, those are the things that are telling the story more than any of the dialogue that the characters are really given. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's, you're exactly right. And I, I really didn't mean to sound negative. Uh, I think maybe uh, because I was given, (laughs) because someone asked like, what it was like i felt the need to like put something out that uh was <laughs> sort of you know niggling in me a little bit but i but mean you know I, what no, Tom, I, you're, I no you know I, what you're not alone and i and I, that was my point too i mean i felt like uh this was a film uh that felt very much written by someone who doesn't know very many like 40 plus year old women um, like it, it just seemed like both, mm. and I, I should say both for Clooney and for for uh, Sandra Bullock, that these characters were were not just archetypes but stereotypes um, of of you know what these kind of grown ups would act like, and, um, and and you know I I don't know I mean I I don't know how much of this was Alfonso Cuarón versus his son, and, and, and you know. Um, I, I I don't know, but my sense was as soon as we get into you know, starting about the road trip, and I you know I had some of the same problems with the you know hey I'm I'm a physician and doctor and I I should probably know more about you know the effects of oxygen on the body and things like that. But let me teach you how to breathe. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm yeah right. I mean I mean there were there were some sequences like that that I had initial trouble with, but then you get some of the internal kind of uh, the the. Uh, the the characterization of Sandra Bullock and and who she is and where she comes from and it just it it just felt a touch overwrought and and in particular sequences like um, you know the the fetal 
the backlit fetal float, uh, you know, I, I felt was just a touch on the nose. Like I get the rebirth. I really do. And you've, you, you're taking me on a journey and now, I mean, why do you have to like, really like duct tape me down to make sure I get it? Like I'm already there. Um, and so, so there were sequences like that, that just felt like, uh, too much and and that's and and so that's that's why it gets me back to this film being so much more of a than 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 the sum of its parts because i didn't find the script all that compelling um and like i i'd written in in my notes like this this is a story that really could have been uh the could have been told the story could have been told in the woodshed i mean it's got all the archetypes in it we've got the journey we've got the rebirth from fire we've got the uh, um you know the the mythic quest the death and rebirth i mean we've got all the major tropes um, and, and so now we're celebrating it, uh, through the omniscient cameraman and, and that ends up being what makes it, uh, special. But well, and, I, and still I, makes it really, really special. Like really, I, no, I, really, I want to make sure that really, we all really know special. That <laughs> really, really special. Like I, yeah. I feel like, yeah, I just don't want to sound no, like it's obscenely like, special. It is, obs- it is really special. This is, yeah. I am, this is like a major all thumbs up on this film. Okay, cool. Yeah, I just I didn't want to be Johnny hates. But that's no. But that's also why I I feel like I I want to pull apart a little bit of the stuff that that I think when yeah. you look at it critically, it's it, there there are things in this film that I'm, you know, that are worth you know addressing. Yeah, Andy and Steve, come on. No, no, Let me clarify. There were there are two moments in this film where I had where I was pulled out for a second and stepped back and said. What, this bothers me. Okay, what and were so they? There, there was, one was when she, you know, again, was getting a spoiler territory. When she has, to, when she has to let, you know, Matt Kowalski go, she's got to cut the tether. Okay, you're in outer space, and I've thought either he's got a secret jetpack, or what is this? What is pulling him so much? He's being sucked into a black hole. What, well, no, because, let me explain that. Let me explain that because because uh, I watching it, really it twice. Me. I, okay. I figured out what it is, and I know even in Entertainment <laughs> Weekly, people were like, well, that made no sense. If they had come to a complete stop, yes, she could have just given him a tug and he would have come right back. The thing well, is that it? they were <laughs> they they had not stopped. They were still moving. The strings okay. on that uh, parachute were all kind of slithering around her, her foot, and right, she right. and Matt had not stopped. They were both still going away from the ship, and if she, right. he didn't let go... They both would have been kept. Right. They would, would have, have kept getting pulled. Yeah. They would not yes. have stopped. So the only way that that she could have stopped and stayed is by by him letting himself go. So that kind of slung shot her back to the ship. But see, that doesn't make sense because if she had just pulled, then it would have overcome whatever for. I mean, it, it wouldn't have was, because they inertia they were was both keeping him going. Right. right, but there. Okay. But she didn't then, have the, she w- didn't, didn't have the inertia have enough, to pull him okay. back because she was also going the same direction he was. Okay, all right, I see that. Then the second point was when she's she's in there and she's you know <laughs> letting the oxygen out, and then Kowalski shows up again and he starts to open the door, and I'm like, what the? Okay, hold on. No matter how bad things are for him, he's an experienced vet out there in space, he knows better than to jeopardize the life of a colleague by Whoa. exposing them uh, to the vacuum of space. You're one of I, those people. I was like, there's Wait. no way you would do that. She would explode or freeze to death. And then I was like, okay, it's a dream. It's a dream. This is going to be something. Okay, then I'll let it go. But Because I thought, everybody that knows sense. that if you just hide your face with a newspaper, 
<laughs> right. The vacuum of space. Well, that's the right. lesson. It's exactly. the Tom lesson. Did you did Steve and I'm not I'm honestly not calling you out at all. Did you at what point did you think that it might be in her head or not? As soon as he opened the door. I was like, that's not him. He wouldn't that was seemed out of line with his character that they established oh, as okay. he spent all these time. So as soon as he opened the door, I was like, okay, this is something that's she's, you know, she's passed out. She's, you know, dreaming she's doing something. And so his character is coming in, you know, with all, it's basically her memory of him to, you know, and it scene worked for me because what information he provided was things that she knew. It was her subconscious reminding her, Hey, you know, these things, Mm-hmm. So that so that worked for me, but it, just for a split totally. second, it was like it was like, whoa, wait a second, he wouldn't do that. All right, I'll accept it and move on. But I guess uh, as but I said, I loved that he knew right where the booze things. was. That was yeah. epic. <laughs> but let me say, they they are. You know, I still enjoy Jurassic Park, even though you know no one where knows where the goat goes. You know, <laughs> the same thing with this. They're they're minor little flaws. They do not you know detract from my overall enjoyment of the film. You know, it was just on first viewing, but again, story was consistent. I definitely still enjoyed it, but again, you know, there's a lot of. I'm, I'm really surprised at how how strong a positive response there has been to this film, um, and you know that it's just you know it it you know has ruled the box office for three week three weekends in a row, which is which is great. And but I, I walked away going, you know, this there there are some problems with this film, but again, it, those are story pieces, and I think really what this film is celebrating is that immersive theatrical experience of really losing yourself in the film. And there's no film that I can think of in recent time that has done such a good job of that as as this film, and it, it has to be seen in the theater. I really don't know how this will carry over into home theater, and I, I regret people that don't see it. In the theater that, that then rented on Blu-ray and go, yeah, it was okay. I don't Did, see what the big deal was what, because can, can we go IMAX right? 3D yeah. is an absolute necessity, I feel, to, to really see this film. Did everybody see it, IMAX 3D, of us? I did. Oh, yeah. I, I was <gasps> described the film by a friend, <laughs> and it was still incredibly gripping. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. I actually just saw it on... I didn't see it on IMAX or 3D. I just oh, saw it in wow. a normal theater, which I know was a bad call, but it was still That's like, like sense I'm around. Still a, but I'm still a huge fan of it. Like it, it even okay, works then. Okay, I was told good. by many friends that like that Sandra Bullock's tears look amazing in oh, yes. 3D, and I'm and I, I made a I made a mistake, and that's okay, but. More importantly, um, to the credit, <laughs> most to the of credit, us still like you. you Steve has lost all respect. I no, because if you go see it while on Nyquil and see it in the 3D and then you know the IMAX, it, you'll really, really enjoy it. I'm sure. It's like watching 2001 on acid. <laughs> no, but I'm saying that I <laughs> like that time <laughs> Trey Parker and Matt Stone went to the Oscars in dresses while on acid. Right, just like that. It's like how I watched 42. That was on acid. And I was like, what? Um, that's a reference to nothing. Uh, no, but Steve, what I'm saying, I mean, to your point, is that even without uh, 3D, even without IMAX, I was still completely entranced and terrified. Oh, okay. And completely involved with it. Absolutely. Oh, I'm uh, glad to hear it, that. 
if I can say, if I can d- tell my other dumb anecdote uh, from the theater, is when George Clooney knock knocks on the door, as <laughs> as is already oh, sort yeah. of figured out, and then opens it, and she's like, "No!" and sort of shields her face, uh, and they have their whole huge talk. Um, I was I was in a pretty full theater, probably like two thirds, and when the camera did that pan from them together to him mm. to her and then back over and it turns out that George Clooney wasn't there, the amount of people in the theater that went, oh, was really <laughs> shocking because I felt like the film had, had <coughs> sorry, hold on, <coughs> had taught us so much about how space works that <laughs> that they were surprised that you can't just be like, hey, can I come into your space capsule? Is that cool? Unlock, come in, have a talk. That they were really confused and surprised, like a Shyamalan twist, that George Clooney wasn't actually there the entire time. And I was, I was, I was honestly like, I was, part of me was like, are you all like the stupidest people in the world? And the other part of me was like, oh, like what a great, way to see a movie like how much fun is it to be in your head <laughs> that you're like oh well thank god george clooney didn't go away he just showed up and knocked on the door and says this is a hell of a story and also pressurization doesn't exist <laughs> so you can just sort of shield your face and then you're cool did that go on too long i'm starting to get tired now all right that was good that was good Shyamalan twist that's fantastic. Uh, okay, so I, I think we all agree that uh, that the cam- the camera is great. Oh my that, god, that, that was oh, amazing. Well, that was pretty breathtaking. Real quick, I just yeah. I do want to say one thing about the screenplay since I didn't really get to say that much about it. Oh, um, Andy, <laughs> I am so sorry. I, I, sorry, I, I, no, I'm, really. I, no, I'm going to be real quick. I just want to say I think Sandra Bullock does an amazing job of of having to talk by herself because there are a lot of actors that i see in films that have like i'm by myself talking to myself dialogue and they can't pull it off you feel like why are they talking there is no logical reason for them to be talking like this out loud i think sandra bullock actually pulls it off in a way where i buy it and i feel i i i I totally bought into everything that she was saying all of her little one-offs that she was throwing out there that's all oh that's a really neat point actually no he's totally right like to be so unself-conscious yeah and to just seem like you're in the moment Mm -hmm. when you know that you're talking to just the audience that's really smart that's really right i agree i'm with andy (laughs) i'm drunk (laughs) (laughs) um we talk about about sound okay yeah let's uh, we can uh, yeah we can do that Whatever you want to talk about. I was just going to say, because I mean, we've talked about the visuals, but the other thing that I think really in terms of you know, being immersed in this is the sound design in terms of when you're in space that you know, sound doesn't really travel because there's no air and how they sort of portray that. You know, so things, you know, as they're working on the station, sounds being muffled, it really gives you that sense of being out there. But also the score, which goes from very quiet to like, chaotic bombastic yes and it's and i i don't know that you call it music it's just sound and noise but it just it works so well to again create that 
that mood, that that tension, that you know, that feel of the film. That you know, to me, those are the pieces that I recall most from the film. Is I'm amazed at the choices the director made with the camera, but also just the sound and how it was used to create the environment we're in, but also to create an otherworldly score. You know, for lack of a better term, it wasn't you know the orchestra, you know, with strings and all this, it was something else which was appropriate for the location we were at. And it felt very fitting. And I'm, I'm glad you said that. I, you know, I, I had said earlier that the, the score itself, like the, the music uh, for me was pretty forgettable. Like I I don't remember it as a scored film, Uh, but I do remember the sound and, and there were little Mm. things that I, I, I found I was mesmerized by regarding the sound. And, and, um, uh, one in particular was the, the sound that they captured of, uh, things happening inside the suits, mm-hmm. right? So when they were like screwing things in with mechanical, like with the the electric screwdriver, you know, you would yeah. hear you would hear the sound, but it wouldn't be mm. the sound that you would normally hear. It was like the muffled sound, as if it was coming up through your hand in the suit. You know, right? It was more like vibration sound, and I thought that that stuff was incredible uh it just the 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 amount of kind of complex foley work they did I, I as far as i understand it they filmed all that stuff uh or they they recorded all of that stuff underwater through the through suits uh to try and capture that that muffled um that muffled sound um and uh, with with great intention right to capture that kind of vibrational like bone conductive vibration sound that right. uh that i thought was really special um but but in in general the way it bounced around from the sound in the suit to the sounds in the in the capsules to the to the silence of space uh i i thought was really um dramatic even in the um in my um This is it. Sorry. This is it. He's going. He's going. We've got, we're losing. We've got a Tommy down. No. I'm so, I was waiting for the thump as he hit the floor. I'm, so, that's, I'm sorry. That was a really long, tough swallow. Um, even in my dumb non um, uh, IMAX 3D theater, I, like a child person, when in the very, very beginning, because we're talking about the sound, when some of the first space reports start happening, I looked up to the top right of my theater. Yeah. Because the, the sound was only coming from one distinct part, and it was so quiet that I was actually angry, like, who's talking in, in the theater that I was in? <laughs> yes. And then I kind of was like, oh, right, I'm not an idiot, and now I get it. But it, the sound design is phenomenal and is actually really is in like other people were saying like so built for a theater in such a non-showy way is especially cuz i mean it, the opening of the film is so quiet yeah. for so yeah. long and then you just start to get these little things and the amount of from the right and it was always from the right but from the right back from the right middle from the right front and then both and all these kind of things the sound design really helped make you feel how horrible I, I'm sorry that I feel that space is the worst thing in the world, but like <laughs> but just like how horribly infinite and quiet it is and how our little part 
of these three people, four people, I don't remember, floating in space, the amount of like the small impact that's making in the infinite of space was really, you know, made clear by the opening of the sound because it was just like this tiny little noises. Is that... Was that no, a, you know, I it, it actually it I wanted to ask uh, Steve and Andy, did you guys happen to catch this in an Atmos theater? No, because uh, no. Atmos does not mix IMAX projection at this point. Um, right. So and I've only seen it in IMAX. Oh, okay. uh, I I do have a friend who saw it in Atmos, and he said, uh, uh, reading from his email, he said, "Wow, wow, wow! Talk about ear opening!" And and he's super technical, so this is a technical email, and it didn't even use the height speakers all that much. Uh, even the dialogue, what little there was, placement utilized the entire speaker array in a totally enveloping fashion. So, yeah, that, that's the impression I got from the reviews of the Atmos version that I've seen. Was that as as stunning as the IMAX 3D is to your overall visual kind of perceptive experience? That Atmos, this film, took advantage of Atmos in a, a completely new way. Well, uh, what's what's Atmos? I'm sorry. It's the Do new I know what Dolby. That is? It's the new Dolby system that has oh, even okay. more speakers. Yeah, it's like seven thousand speakers. They're all very small. And, and you know, Andy, that that makes sense because I could see, you know, from my Dolby Atmos experiences in Wolverine and Man of Steel, I always felt that you know, too much noise, it, it, you lose that finesse. And I could really right. see how this film would have that. You have that ability, have that finesse with sound because of just the. I guess precision and accuracy of of specific sounds that it's right. not just creating a wall of sound. It's very specific and purposeful. So exactly. yeah, that, that was my one regret was that IMAX we you don't have the Atmos experience. Exactly. I do have to say one thing about silence in a movie, which I'm such a huge fan of. The one thing that sucks about silence in a movie theater is the fact that you're in a movie theater. Yeah, you're hearing everyone because else. Yeah, because yeah, because other people are hell. I don't, that's a phrase I think that was uh, Chekhov. I'm gonna keep saying <laughs> Chekhov. Uh, no, but I mean it's just like there's just so much rustling, and people are really yeah. uncomfortable with silence. There yeah, was yeah. there was uh, laughing for no reason during oh, yeah, because the film that I saw, just because people, people can't don't take know how it. to handle it. Yeah, they, they don't know how it. to handle it. Yeah, which is interesting. I guess to it me. was, well, but, but but speaking to the movie, and you're right. I mean, the, the theatrical experience is always going to be a frustrating one with with an audience because you know people just aren't us. If I could watch it with an audience of me's, that would be great. <laughs> oh, totally. Because you you don't you put your phone away. You literally. I can't believe there's so many like before the movie things saying literally, don't be Hitler. Put your phone away. Like, don't be a jerk. And then everyone's just like, that's cool. I know, right? But I'm not one of those. Let me check my text. It's weird. <laughs> now I feel like a like a terrible stand-up comedian. And it's like, and also airplane food. <laughs> but no, but I mean, like, I just can't, I can't understand that people don't understand that. I don't understand. Yeah. Okay. Well, Andy, go ahead. Yeah. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I just think, no, I, I Andy, weren't you going to say something? I want to do more of my bits from the 90s. <laughs> look, look, guys, women and, and men, they're totally different. <laughs> 
women are all like, what feelings? And men are all like, football. <laughs> all right. I should really stop talking. <laughs> I don't even know how, how to follow that. I don't even know how to recover. <laughs> I think I think somebody step just... step back from the podcast. <laughs> All right, I'm done. I'm sorry. I'm no. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I uh, where where were we before we started this? Andy was going to say something. I'm sure of it. We were talking about sound. Right. We were talking about, silence, about silence. The value of uh, silence. Oh, you know, yeah. uh, speaking to what Steve was saying, I remember now. Okay, so but I really like the way they kept the silence consistent all the way through, where they had in the context of everything going on in space, they left it with this amazing silence with everything, where even when she is trying to unhinge the parachute thing from that uh, space station that she's on, um, you don't hear any of these you know, particles that are zipping behind her, smashing it to smithereens. I love the way that all of that is played in silence all the way through the film, and then the way that they contrast that with this score as they use the score to create those moments. And I think, yes, it's not that listenable of a score by itself, but it's one of the most effective scores I have heard in context of the film because of the way that it's used as a tool to fill in for the lack of sound. Yeah, I would. I mean, I I certainly yeah. buy that. I mean, uh, I just don't remember it. I, I honestly, I well, don't. But remember I don't think it. you're well, meant to remember. It's not. Yeah. It's not John Williams in the back with all of his strings. It's a very. Uh, it's it, like Steve said. It's a very much almost just like instruments. You know, it's 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 very discordant. It's just this sound that is kind of blasted at you, but it's done in a way where it feels like you're getting the tension of the explosions and and you're, you're it's building all of that and i find it that in, extremely effective yeah i mean i clearly i'm to me it was too i mean just the, the whole experience of the catastrophe i i remember as an audible experience but uh, you know mm-hmm. yeah i don't remember a theme there is, and there there isn't because it just opens right i mean it just opens right i mean it opens and they're working and we have the no, 13 it, it minutes has, right is I there think I think there's it starts. Whoa. There's a big build. Oh, yeah, right? get the title, and then it cuts to cuts yeah. to Earth and yeah. silence until this the shuttle drifts up toward us. Mm-hmm. Right. Just just you can you can find it online if you if you've got a Spotify account, you can play it on there. Just give it listen to it once, and you go, oh yeah, I remember these sounds. You may not be able to remember the exact sequence, and actually the the tracks I think are I don't even know if the names have anything to do with p- parts of the film at all. Some of them might. But you listen to it once you go, oh, yeah, th- this, you know, I remember these sounds. But, again, it's not going to give you, oh, yeah, that's that, you know, this point when they do that. Or this is the part where she's escaping. It's just, oh, yeah, I remember these sounds. And they set me on edge because this is a really tense moment. And that's it what does, I, I think is. Uh, no, sorry. It, it, it does yeah. kind of what for space uh, and the particular situation, it does for that what Trent Reznor did for Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, creating, again, yes. not a score I could remember at all, but it has an incredibly icy feel all the way through. And the way that he kind of built that score around that icy world in that film, I think it's it's kind of comparable to that. Not one yes. that I remember, but one that works well in the context of the film. Okay, let's talk a little bit about uh, cinematography, uh, Emmanuel Lubezki. There's a great article from the American Society of Cinematographers that we should post in the show notes. Just kind of, it's it's a short little blog post, just an interview with him, where he kind of talks about 
really what a cinematographer does on a movie like this because it a lot of people are always like well it's mostly visual effects what do you actually do and uh, he's and it's, he explains it really nicely just trying to give a sense as to how he really has to collaborate with the visual effects supervisor uh, to really kind of create the overall look of everything that we're seeing in the film, even when it's completely digital and he really isn't, isn't running a camera on any of it. He, it still is important to know how things are going to get lit once you go into that visual uh, element and everything. And so it's just a, it's a nice little piece that kind of helps explain the relationship of that and why a cinematographer is still important in a, a, in a film that has almost nothing but visual effects. Yeah, I, you know that was my that was my big question for you guys, and I think it, it revolves around uh, Oscars more than anything else. Um, and and I I wonder if in some way this is not some some kind of a push to have more of these sort of let me just explain that a cinematographer you know the importance of a cinematographer even in a, a heavy effects film is all about really understanding light, uh, and here is you know here's how we work with light, and here's how we. Uh, here's how we, you know, effect light. Uh, because I wonder if he's either going to win cinematography for this film because of that, or if he's going to lose because nobody understands it and thinks of this as such an effects film. He's still going to win, just like Life of Pi did. I think that he's definitely going to beat out Roger Deakins for The Prisoner, um, and Roger Deakins will lose out again. But it's, I think a lot of it also involves what they invented for this film and the way that they created these lighting tools that would track as the actors were flipping around in their little, mm -hmm. you know, cycle machines or whatever, just so they could actually then go in and create the visual effects to show the earth behind. They did a lot of really amazing uh, visual effects trickery in life of Pi as well. He managed to pull off his Oscar for that. And I think that this is going to be the Oscar this year. But, the, the Life of Pi took place on Earth. Well, it took so place it, on Earth, but it was vastly all visual effects. Oh, no, absolutely. But I'm, but I'm kind of going with Pete in the way, not necessarily that Pete was explaining that, but the, the idea that like... Wait, you're saying I was wrong? Earth, what is that? What I'm saying is Pete is a horrible person. No, he, um, Pete was wrong, but I agree with him. <laughs> For <laughs> different reasons. <laughs> right, that the fact that Pete, uh, that the fact that um, Life of Pi was so much uh, CGI and so much visual effects, but it took place on Earth, mm -hmm. uh, I think will be definitely taken differently than something that takes place in space. Because when you when something takes place in space, people are just assuming that it's all trickery. I think that uh, there's a good chance that. Uh, that the cinematographer will not get the credit that he deserves. Well, we'll find out next March. I... <laughs> <laughs> and then we gonna, will. Somebody's <laughs> going to come to my house and give That's me an right. apology. <laughs> does it, does that make sense? Own, said that no, you know, it does to me. And I think it's, I, I think to, for me, it's a different, uh, you know, it's a different reason. And, and you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think Life of Pi um, the the one of the the reasons that it makes sort of cinematography such a powerful, even in such a heavy effects film, is that everything was, uh, I I think to the general audience was very believable, right? I mean, it's it's water, it's you know animals, it's you know moving the camera around things that are sort of faking, 
um, reality in a way that we have experienced, right? It's a it's a hyper experience of of this sort of reality. That's uh, and, what and I was I th- trying to say. And I think yes. Claudio Miranda did a, an unbelievably good job. Uh, you know, in moving the camera in in that space, right? I mean, it was that's very powerful. Um, and uh, I think in gravity, we don't have any reference point, right? We don't have any sense because we've never been there. The number of people who've been there who've actually seen it is so small that that we have no reference point, And I wonder if that's going to get in the way of it. That we should say that the the what you know to Andy's point, what they invented. If you haven't gone onto YouTube and seen the 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 sort of Gyro clony scope thing. What are they? I, I don't know what they called it, but the box, the three hundred sixty degree box. I think it's box, a gyro clony. It's a gyro clony that they, uh, uh, the box that they put the the actors into Sandra Bullock in to spin her, and they projected. It's like the the ultimate sort of Google Earth kind of space view, right? And they projected it so that you would see the projection on her, you know, reflecting on the helmet, and then go in afterward and build the CG around her. Is it, I mean, it's really spectacular technology that they use to actually, you know, gimbal this movie to life. Uh, but but no, it's a non-traditional cinematography, uh, you know, and I think that's something that I, I wonder if, if, you know, we'll see a celebration I, of that. I think that's a much better way to say what I was trying to say is that he definitely deserves it, but there's a good chance that he won't get it just yeah. because it's just oh, well, too new. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, the thing that you know in the in the trailer, there's the there's the shot where you know she first is sort of breaks loose and she's and we see her spinning and spinning and then she comes around and the camera locks on her and now she's stationary Ugh. and we're moving, you know, just yeah. a shot like that. I'm like, you know, and you know that blew me away. And then when we get we're in outer space and then I go to the movie we're watching and we're the camera's out here and we're coming into Sandra Bullock where the camera's slowly moving in and then we move through her helmet into her helmet and then we move around inside the helmet and then back out as one you know continuous shot and at several points I had to say to my I mean you know clearly what the camera's showing right now is just got to all be blue screen so Clearly, there there could be a cut here, but you know we're being faked out by you know the the CG Earth in the background or whatever. I mean these long tracking shots, there can clearly be cuts there. But my mind doesn't catch onto those because it's just also fluid yeah. and and logical. And I thought that the composition of you know the that's the master plan of where this camera is going to be because and all that chaos out there, you know I always had a sense of where where we were. You know, in terms of, you know, we didn't have, you know, you know, chaos cinema where it's just things are crazy and w- what's going on. We didn't have jiggly monkey shaky cams. You know, it yeah. was a lot of things going on. But to me, there was that that balance of the smooth fluidity of the camera that gave us that sense of where we were, because it would be very easy to be disoriented when we're, you know, there's, you know, parachute things going and debris coming around. And where are we? And to create that sense of panic, but there was always that, you know, the camera was always in the right place for me. And I thought those were the tough choices to make in this film so that the audience would always know where we were, where she was going, where she was coming from. And I think that's, you know, the other piece that is part of the success of this film is given that you can basically have a virtual camera that you can place anywhere to have that discretion to know what's the right place to put it, because that's where it needs to be, not to put it someplace else because you can because you've got no 
physical limitations of where you can put it. You know, Steve, I'm I you know how I'm I'm really loath to agree with you, you know, more than once on a show, but uh, <laughs> in this case I feel like I I have to 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 shout out at that. I I think one of the uh, you know, the the opening 13 minutes of this film uh, it, it's certainly the the most powerful thirteen minutes I think uh, that that we get on so many different levels throughout the 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 film itself that it it works on every single level for me. Uh, now it it where I get a little bit frustrated by kind of the the individual sort of little nitpicky aspects of the dialogue. Um, I I move past that because it gets me into the film. It sets a stage so quickly uh, and and moves us into the debris field so quickly that it sets us up for this action yet to come. The camera, we get to experiment with the camera. We get to be in that sort of first-person shooter kind of star tours effect of the camera, uh, which gets us into the the world of the film so effectively, unbelievably effectively, um, that we... Uh, uh, the sound, the way they they apply the sound, all of the elements come together that allow us to avoid one huge uh, win, which is that we don't have a half hour of setup on Earth. Uh, We don't ever meet Ed Harris. Uh, Like all of those things. We don't ever see the rescue mission. Like all of those things, I think, are answered in those first 13 minutes where they lose contact. We're in the film so fast. And and we get to move into the story of Sandra Bullock and her escape from space, which I I think is, is, um, you know, the most powerful part of it. So. I, I think it's a, it's really I mean this this movie these elements come together in a, a really spectacular way. Shall we? Do we have any other anecdotes that we need before we move on to uh, to uh, ranking? And I just want I, I I think we should talk about the the I, unless you don't want to, but I I for one really enjoyed all the rebirth stuff. I I liked the umbilical uh, womb scene. I really liked all of the uh, the elements at the end with the rebirth. I totally bought into all of that. I really enjoyed, as part of her character arc, how she... And, and I, I thought that she... I liked how she was written. I didn't think that it was uh, a poorly written, written woman character. I thought it was uh, not uh, that stereotypical. I enjoyed elements to her, and I enjoyed her, her fight for survival. I really enjoyed the story of her daughter. I enjoyed the scene where she's, uh, you know, kind of at her at a loss and she's she's uh she's barking like a dog and uh, in one shot you see her just barking like a dog and then you see that transition as she's just kind of you know trying to connect to this person on earth all of a sudden changing over to realizing that she's going to die and uh like right at that moment and the way that her barking changes and shifts and that whole scene i totally bought into all of that i really enjoyed uh, all of the stuff with her daughter saying goodbye to her daughter. Uh, I, I loved all of that, and I really enjoyed the rebirth. I, I know uh, some people may find it kind of just cliche and stereotypical, but I bought in wholeheartedly. Some people. I think you're talking to me. No. I, <laughs> I think that some people was directed at me. Am I wrong? Some people on this show, yes. But outside outside in the, in the, the rest of the world, I have talked to a number of people yeah. who – who have problems with this film, who feel like it's just, you know, it's all spectacle with no substance. They didn't really oh, enjoy the characters. No. Uh, yeah. you know, just stuff that I, I don't really agree with and, and from people that I really do, shouldn't be listening to in the first place. But 
I did hear people complaining about all that sort of stuff. Maybe I'm just a sucker and I, I easily get get caught up in, in those emotional sorts of stories in a film. I acknowledge that it's true. I, I am a bit of a sucker when it comes to emotional <laughs> moments. But it worked for me so well in this film, and I really enjoyed the thread of rebirth with her character over the course of the story. I, I'm, I, I would not... I, I mean, I would... I don't disagree with you on many of those points. And I actually, I, I think the the concept of rebirth in the film and the concept of, of just sort of uh, the, the well, I think it, it starts with the idea of sort of breaking the tether, right? I mean, that's, that's where we, we yeah. start with this journey of like cutting the umbilical and figuring out, you know, it, we, what we see in the scope of this film, of this sort of six hours of her life in space is, you know, her growing up and figuring out what kind of a woman she's going to be when she gets her feet back on solid solid ground and and I think that's a really powerful powerful story and and the only problem that I had with it I were, were just those sort of on the nose visual elements that are hammering me in, into my head of this is rebirth now we're rebirthing go you know I I just found the the floating you know the the floating uh, fetus thing was just a, a little much but but you know to to that point i love the i loved the the rescue i loved her landing in the water and i i think her just almost drowning uh kind of gasping for air as she's making this final push back to life uh you know that that idea of of being in the water and emerging from the water as that sort of metaphor for her rebirth i thought was really powerful i am i i was disappointed uh and i i don't mean to pull too much on the checkoff trope but um you know i Chekhov was the one who said that if you see a Clooney floating off into space, if you see a Clooney floating off into space, you better see his body slammed to earth in the third act. And (laughs) and I feel like we didn't see that. And I think that was a real loss. Um, and I, I don't know about your audience, but my entire audience, we were like 100% expecting like a crocodile to appear. Like things could not have kept getting worse for her as she's trying yeah. to get out of that pod. We're just like, oh, God, where's the shark? Where's the crocodile? Oh, oh God yeah. sakes. There's going to be a lion on oh the Oh, my board. God, a typhoon. <laughs> I um, Can I say my final things? Yes, yeah, say your final things. <clears throat> Um, and I apologize. I went away for a little bit, so I apologize if some of these things have already been said. Um, when her uh, uh, spacecraft landed in the water and then she was now drowning, my first thought was like, oh, my God. Like, we're still uh, – there was just so much tension, and now she's about to drown. But then I actually really, even apart from the rebirth, I liked the idea, and I think we brought it up earlier, of water. Pete, you brought up the abyss, is that space is kind of the equivalent to the ocean right? for us, I think. Yeah. It's such a huge, uncharted, scary, terrifying, there's no way we can live. Wait, let me check in. Did we already talk about this? No, not really. No, not really. Okay. Go ahead. Um, There's no way. I liked the idea that she was, when she came home, that she was immediately um, immersed, literally, in the next space. Meaning space is something that is horrible, and we can't possibly figure out how to do it without our own personal apparatuses, uh, and and there's no gravity 
in the ocean. There's no gravity in water. There's no gravity in space. The biggest thing missing for both of those is leverage. There's just, you just touch something and you spin away. So I kind of liked that we, she also, when she was being saved, coming back to Earth, that she went into the water because the water is also the exact kind of thing as space. We can't breathe. There's no way to actually get your feet under you. There's no real gravity and there's no leverage. And so it's just as terrifying on ground. We have something as terrifying on ground as we do up in the heavens. So there was something kind of interesting to me about that. Uh, the also the last thing, <laughs> and I don't know if you got if I'm being stupid, but I'm gonna keep talking. I love my voice. <laughs> the other thing that I loved was just the time that it took of her once she did get out of the capsule and just to really spend on the beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a long time that she just spent on the beach, just sort of in the sand. Uh, and the friend that I went to watch asked me like what you know that seemed really weird like that spent so long there and for me and it's probably the most obvious answer in the world but it was just like she was finally feeling the one thing that was missing was gravity right right was gravity was leverage was her own weight where she could pick herself up slowly off the beach and be in control of her own body and that was the one thing that was the biggest villain of this entire movie was the lack of gravity and the lack of leverage. And that was that was the big win for me of like you're finally feeling your own weight. And I liked the way that they played on that at the end of the film with the camera. And they kept the camera so low that we were like literally she was towering over us like a giant. And it really put that gravity into perspective because you really could feel like every footstep as it came down, it just felt that much heavier. Oh, it was enormous, yeah. And it was so great to have it, of course, in water and then on sand because where else can you see your own footprint? Yeah. 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 You can't see it on asphalt. Yeah, that's a, that's another it, great point. That, that you you know this was the the only place that you get to actually visualize the impact that that she has as a human. Mm-hmm. Right is what what she can touch is the hist everything else that she's been doing for the last week has been destroyed. Well, and there's right. there's a little bit a little bit more to that. In an interview, our director said uh, was asked about if this was you know the, about this rebirth idea and pulling herself up onto the the surface, and he says, well, yes, more literally, there she's in these murky waters, almost like an amniotic fluid or a primordial soup in which you see amphibians swimming. She crawls out of the water, not unlike early creatures in evolution, and then she goes on all fours. And after going on all fours, she's a bit curved until she is completely erect. It was the evolution of life in one quick shot. No, I don't actually like that. Yeah, but, now, okay. now it now it's means less. Now that yeah, now, now it seems a little bit... <laughs> Now it's a little too on the nose. Now it's a little on the nose. I had, I thought I had made it too obvious, but fair enough. <laughs> and see, I like that. I did. But that's I, I did me too. being a sucker again. No, 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 you're not a sucker. You are a sucker. Let me correct that. You are a sucker. I am too on this one. I, I really, I, I that that part of the of the bit, I, I liked. Yeah. Um, so okay, shall we? Shall we do this thing? Let's do it. What's happening? Let's rank it. We're going to flick and then Tom's going to say, 
what's flick chart again? Remind me, and then we'll remind him. And yeah, then we'll come on, mind. go ahead, Tom. We need a segue. At, at least Tom won't say, what's flip chart? <laughs> <laughs> what's happening right now? Because I'm already naked. Okay, Tom. <laughs> what I need you to do is I need you to get on your computing device, head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. That's where you and all of our listeners can find uh, our, our golden list, our top uh, 100 uh, well, you can find all of them, but really the ones that count are the top 100 of our uh, of the films that we have reviewed uh, Not familiar. over the last two years. Not familiar. This is how no. many times have you been on? I don't know. Doesn't even What's matter. That? Hello. What's that? Hello? I'm on Friendster. <laughs> what do I click on Friendster? And scene. Anything you want. All right. Okay. So here we go. Uh, gravity or the Born Identity? I'm totally gravity. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go Gravity. Gravity? Gravity or World War Z? I'm still Gravity. Oh, oh, definitely Gravity. I did like the World War Z. I did too, but... He likes zombies with everything, though. Yeah. If this had... Gravity, gravity with gravity zombies. would have been better if it had zombies in space. Now, right? now we're talking. <laughs> what if she heard over the radio that a zombie apocalypse... And it was a zombie happened. apocalypse. She'd still be trying to get back to Earth. <laughs> Or would you just give up? <laughs> I would like it if George Clooney turned out to be a zombie. <laughs> then she would the sequel. Or the pilot, right? Door. The pilot oh, on the, the shuttle or the guy who was floating around really? in the bay. They should have zombified well, They already them. destroyed one of their brains. Zomstronauts. So. Uh, I'm going to go gravity on this one. I'm going to regret it. but No, you're not. Uh, gravity or all the president's men? Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. That feels that feels like a an affront. Uh, um, <laughs> gravity or all the president's men. Mm. For me, all the president's men. My name is Tommy. I would go gravity in the in the theatrical experience because all the president's men I can happily watch that sitting in front of my television. In, Very in good the context point. of the greater film, uh, like the 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 film that has a lot more meaning, I would definitely go All the President's Men. So I don't know which one I'm picking. I'll let <laughs> you was... <laughs> Steve, oh, this is uh, a WWSD. What would oh, Steve do? Yeah, it won't. Uh, because there's... Mm, it, <laughs> I have some problems with Gravity and that her her story arc. I just, and It's why I feel like I need a second viewing because there's so much visually going on that to really focus on story and, and character i think is part of what a second viewing will bring i hope because i feel like there's all the pieces there but there was just so much going on that it's no, it, almost... it definitely helped me on a second viewing yeah so that's like i'm like torn because i feel like i really want more out of the character piece which is what you know all the presidents mean you've got such great writing in there but i mean you come out of gravity out of the theatrical experience just like speechless and it's just, it's you've been in another world for 90 minutes and i would go towards gravity on this side no because just because of that just that wow it just amazed me that it's sure. such a technical piece you know that yeah the screenplay the script maybe yeah there's some issues but i yeah it's it's i feel like it's one that this is why you go to the movies, because this right. is a movie exactly. from beginning to end that yeah. is a theatrical experience that, that knocks your socks off. 
I actually exactly. left the theater and was driving home and got so disoriented driving because I still felt like I was in space that I almost had to stop the car because I like totally had a freak out. Are you sure you don't have some sort of a condition? <laughs> I'm on NyQuil, too. Did I forget to mention that? I, uh, oh, my God. NyQuil is the best. Also, I'm, gravity might it? unseat a seated president. <laughs> so there's also that. Timely. <laughs> what? What? I, what? Uh, I'm actually, uh, I, I'm, I'm all the president's men with no qualms. Um, hey, Pete. And, and I feel like, uh, I, I feel like it's because all of the things that you guys have said is, is true. And this film will leave the theaters. And in 10 years, we're, I believe we're still going to be talking about all the president's men in, oh, in a way that snap. is different than, than we're going to be thinking about gravity. Y'all just will, got Pete wow. right it. Woo! <laughs> oh my god! You guys like did like a. It's not like popcorn, Pete, Marcy, Andy. It's like you guys switched this week. What's going on? I feel like Steve. It's not like pretentious Pete and like oh! you know. Um, yeah. Okay. Action Andy. <laughs> Action Andy. Yeah. That's right. All right. So Andy, I, I, I are you, are you the tiebreaker? I've got the button. So oh, gravity it is. Gravity it is. <laughs> Dang it. Wait, how is Andy the tiebreaker since there's only four of us? Because he's got the button. Oh, okay. Do we don't have notes from I, anybody else? I have, the, I have the, the password. I've got I the password. I thought my vote counted twice. I'm going to change the password and re-rank. <laughs> no. Oh, All right, what's next? Gravity or 500 Days of Summer? See, we already have 500 Days of Summer ahead of all the President's Men. This is why we have to go See, through and rewrite the chart. I, yeah, I, I have to Yo, think gravity over. You guys gave way too much love to 500 Days of Summer, in my opinion. Well, I, you mean, didn't give it I enjoy it, but it's, look, it's look, way Look, Mr. Cameron Crow-hater. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a separate discussion. Wait we'll till, do that wait till this week. Yeah, I know. We're going to do a whole guys, series. Guys, guys, I I'm, hate it when you fight. <laughs> I uh, I also am gravity in this case. Is, okay, What's so the question? I, gravity or five hundred days of summer? Oh, five hundred days of summer is adorable, but no gravity. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Gravity or yes. Raiders of the Lost Ark? Oh, pfft. what? <laughs> gravity, gravity or Raiders? Gravity you have or Raiders. to ask. It's gravity or what? It's Raiders. Raiders. Yeah. It's totally Raiders. It's Raiders. Gravity. Tom, it's not. It's probably not Raiders for Tom. I literally haven't heard the 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 question. What? Raiders That's, of the Lost Ark, Tom. He doesn't hold Raiders Mike up check. or Gravity. Yes. Oh, oh, maybe I'll be a jerk face. Um, doesn't, your vote doesn't count. Doesn't matter. You've uh, yeah, you've already lost. You're but already I'm dead curious. Oh, what? What's I'm, wrong? I'm curious. I'm what do you, what do you pick? Tell me. Tell me your pick. I. What. What do you, what does Pete think? What does Pete think? <laughs> we we have all uh, unilaterally picked uh, gravity uh, on and and so on your behalf by proxy we have picked gravity. But I'm curious where you would stand if you were standing alone and had to pick gravity or Raiders. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, um, I guess <laughs> I. <laughs> First and foremost, what is flick chart? All right. Okay. All right. I know. I get it. I'm a stupid person. I will pick. Um, uh, I think I would pick. Well, yeah, gravity. Okay. There you go. Just making sure. 
was that wrong? No, I mean I I There is no wrong or right. There well there's Well there is. There's an emotionally wrong or right. So wait, what did we pick? <laughs> <laughs> like, if forgotten. We, like if someone what's next? Said, counselor, I think over Raiders is what's, that what we did? What's like next? if so, yeah. Like if someone said Grown Ups Two versus like Schindler's List. If I said <laughs> Grown Ups Two, clearly that's the wrong answer. Yes, that would be the wrong answer. <laughs> yes, that's true. That is very right. true. Was that the right. next answer? Next. Because... Gravity or Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I would go Gravity. Uh, my name is Tom Vance. I would say Butch Cassidy. It's been a long time since I've seen Butch Cassidy, so I, I'm sort of swayed towards the gravity side because it's just more current in memory. And I enjoyed Butch Cassidy, but it's it's a faint memory out there, so it's it's hard to base it on specific strengths of each. So I'm I'm skewed towards gravity. And Andy's got the button. Uh, I've got the button, but for you, Pete. I will do Butch Cassidy. Oh, see, I'm Andy, a giver. That's thank fair. you. Gravity. This is okay. This is our last one. Gravity. Or Wait, can I change my vote? No. Slightly. <laughs> no. It's Butch Cassidy, but Gravity. only if the raindrops keep falling on my head. Sequence is forever gone. <laughs> All right, we'll that's a terrible it. sequence of movie history. <laughs> Gravity nope. or Sleepless in Seattle. Okay, fine. Gravity. 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 And we are at number six. Out of 116. Mm. Right. What did we, Andy, could you, I know this is a huge pain for you on Flickchart, but could you tell us what we knocked out of the top 100? Uh, yes. <laughs> I can. Rain uh, keep falling on Yeah, sing, sing the song for a moment. Right? Oh, it's so I'm bad. I'm on a bicycle and it's I should be It's such a good movie, but that, that part sucks. It's like All right, number, oh, number 100. Is Bull Durham number one hundred and one, which has just been bumped out, is Key Largo. Ooh, wow. that might be the well. There's there's a couple in the the ones that have been bumped out that uh, that saddens me a little bit. There they, are they some could that use I'm a fine. ranking. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, Come. Key Largo is definitely it's still a good one. We so. should re-rank Key Largo and just see if it really if it re- beats Bull Durham. I would be up for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you would. I know you would. <laughs> Hey, this was fun, people. Uh, this movie is, uh, it's still, I don't know if you've seen it. It's a little film called Gravity. It's still in theaters. You should go see it. You should probably see it on IMAX. If you've already seen it, IMAX 3D, you should go see it on Atmos. And uh, let us know on Facebook.com slash The Next Reel what you thought of it. And uh, you can always find us at TheNextReel.com. You can read uh, the fantastic works of, of uh, Dr. Sarmento at uh, TheNextReel.com slash blog. And uh, follow us on Twitter at the next reel, um, and uh, you know that's yeah, that's pretty much. Oh, oh, the Pony Prize. Do we have a new movie this week, uh, Andy? That you're working on? Yeah, I am. Um, right? Three three images in on our Instagram, and nobody so, has won uh, it yet. Nobody's figured it out. I, it's been definitely obscure. <laughs> I, I think I think if Tommy looked at it, he might be able to figure it out. But uh, but since he doesn't have a computer, he's so hopped up. I think the NyQuil may help him, but yeah, he's he's still uh, is using his little uh, abacus over there. So, <laughs> what's the internet? <laughs> so uh, that's it, guys. Uh, as always, thank you uh, for your time and attention. Good film, good talk. I'm so glad we didn't do that other Joker of a film. Boy, so am I. Uh, Tommy, thank you. Sleep well, son. Thank you. I love you, America. Steve, as always. Good as night, always. Sir. Good night. Good sir. night. Andy. Good night. So long.
Here on the Film Board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grand's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 